Exodus chapter 3, that's where we're going to be at this morning. And uh, we're continuing our series in uh, Summer Vacation Series. And today we are going from the Garden of Eden, which was last week, to Mount Horeb this week. And um, here's kind of the premise of the series, and then we'll we'll dive in pretty quickly. Um, So what we're doing is we're going just through, kind of through some, some significant places in the Bible, some significant locations, destinations, and just looking at um, what, what did God have to say here, what was God doing here, and what does that mean for us? Right? Because the, the Bible, I think it's good for us to be reminded, the Bible is a real book, a series of real books and letters and writings written to real people uh, in very real circumstances, a very real context, at a very real point in time, and these people lived in very real places. Okay, so these are more than just kind of random dots on a map, they're more than just really hard to pronounce names in the Bible. Um, they are actual locations where significant things happen. And so what we're doing just over the next few weeks, kind of through the summer, is just looking at what are these places, and then what, are they, what, what was God doing there, um, wh- what does that mean for us? Okay, and so we're going to be, uh, like I said, at Mount Horeb this morning. Okay, so Exodus chapter 3, I'm going to read the first six verses uh, to, to kick us off. All right, so starting in verse 1. It says, Now Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian, and he led his flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. And he looked, and behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. And Moses said, I will turn aside to see this great sight, why the bush is not burned. And when the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called to him out of the bush, Moses, Moses. And he said, here I am. Then he said, do not come near, take off your sandals of your feet, for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. And he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. So here we have Moses right, at Mount Horeb. Okay, a well-known story. If you kind of grew up in church, you kind of know the Sunday school story, you've got God speaking to Moses out of a burning bush. Right? Uh, but what's going to be helpful is to kind of, we really need to rewind and backtrack and see how did we get here at this moment? How do we get to the mountain that we're talking about this morning? Uh, and so, oddly enough, for us to look back, I actually want us to look forward uh, to, a, to an account in the New Testament uh, and kind of set what's going on here. Um, if you fast forward a few thousand years, you get to the New Testament, you've got Stephen in the book of Acts, Acts chapter 7. And so to, in the context, uh, Stephen has been seized, he's been arrested, uh, and he's kind of defending himself. And he really just kind of starts to tell the council that's arrested. He's standing before the council and he begins to give them this, basically this whole redemptive history of Israel, which ends in him saying, you're the ones who crucified Jesus, which then ends in Stephen being stoned and, and murdered himself. Uh, but anyways, in his sort of uh, retelling of Israel's history, he tells Moses his story. Right, and here's what he says. You don't, have to, you don't necessarily have to turn there. I will read it for us. But here's what he says in, in uh, Acts chapter 7, starting in verse 20. So this is Stephen talking about Moses. He says, At this time, Moses was born, 
And he was beautiful in God's sight, and he was brought up for three months in his father's house. And when he was exposed, uh, Pharaoh's daughter adopted him and brought him up as her own son. And Moses was instructed in all the wisdom of the Egyptians, and he was mighty in his words and deeds. When he was 40 years old, it came into his heart to visit his brothers, the children of Israel. And seeing one of them being wronged, he defended the oppressed man and avenged him by striking down the Egyptian. He supposed, and this is an important verse, he supposed that his brothers would understand that God was giving them salvation by his hand, but they did not understand. All right, now, here's what we see here in this moment. All right, we, we backtrack on Moses' life. Okay, if you've, uh, you've seen the, the Ten Commandments movie, the really old one, you know, with Charlton Heston, that thing. Um, or maybe if you're a little younger and you've seen The Prince of Egypt, the Disney movie, which it kind of blows my mind that Disney did a movie on Moses anyways, but nevertheless, they did. And so anyways, uh, if, if you're familiar with that, you kind of know Moses' story, right? Moses was put in, he was born, right? The, the Israelites were enslaved in Egypt. Moses was born. There's this call put out to have all of the male Israelites killed when they were born because the Pharaoh was scared they were becoming too, uh, too many. And so uh, out, of, um, because out of fear of, of the Lord, you got these, these uh, Israelite midwives who would not put these babies to death. And so they, um, they kind of concoct this whole story that, that the, the babies would not be put to death. So Moses is born, he's alive, put him in a basket, send him down the river, right? Pharaoh's daughter finds him. Long story short, Moses ends up growing up in the house of Pharaoh. And then uh, what we see here in, in this story is that one day Moses is out and he's kind of roaming around there in, in Egypt, kind of checking out the scene, and he sees one of his people, one of the Israelites, being beaten by an Egyptian sort of taskmaster. And something in Moses' heart or in his mind just snaps. Right? And in a moment of of crazy aggression, it's not really road rage, but it's some kind of rage, right? He beats the Egyptian down, murders him, hides him in the sand, right? And then what happens then is uh, the next day, he's out roaming around and he sees some Israelites feuding with one another and Moses says, hey, what's going on? What's, what's the deal here? To which they say to Moses, hey, are you gonna like, you know, are you gonna strike us down like you did the Egyptian? to which Moses all of a sudden has fear because he knows that what he's done has been found out and he can't hide it. And so out of fear, right, Moses knows that, that Pharaoh now has a uh, kind of a death warrant out on him and Moses flees into the wilderness. And that's how we get to where Moses is now in Mount Horeb. Right, he's been in the wilderness for years. But, but I want to go back and, and you think about what, what Stephen wrote about Moses is that Moses supposed that his Israelite brothers would, would see that salvation was coming through him. In other words, Moses had some idea that he was to deliver his people. So it's no, no coincidence. It's no coincidence that all these like, events of Moses' life, right, being born into Egypt, um, being raised in the house of Pharaoh, being trained in Egyptian culture, uh, it, it's no coincidence that all these things happened in Moses' life, or to end up at this, this moment. Right? And what we see, that even though Moses' life looks a little crazy, what, what we know is that God was orchestrating his story 
the whole time. Right? God is orchestrating all these events in Moses' life to line up so that one day he would be the one to deliver his people. See, we get the benefit of, of looking at this kind of on, in hindsight. We know how Moses' story ends. So we can kind of look at all these different events and see how they all lined up so that one day Moses would be the one who would deliver God's people, the Israelites. Right? And if we can just stop here for a moment for us, do a little application. How crazy is it to know that your story right now and, and whatever your history is up to this point, that God is orchestrating all of it for some purpose. You may not know what it is right now. I may not know what it is right now. But if we believe that God is sovereign and he's all-knowing and he's omniscient, then all of your life is being orchestrated by God to accomplish his, his purposes. Right? We talked about this a little bit last week, um, right, that, that God has you where you are, on purpose, for a purpose. Right, we talked about that in Acts 17. You guys are just going to get sick of me talking about Acts 17, but I just believe if we would get it in us, it would change the way that we live. Just this idea that God has determined the, the time periods and the places that we, that we would live. God has put us where we are for a reason. And we see this in Moses' life. All throughout Moses' life, he, he's put God, or he's put Mo, God has put Moses in these different places for a reason, so that one day he would be prepared to deliver God's people. Right? You have been put where you are for a purpose. It's part of God's call on your life. Even if you don't fully realize it right now, even if you're kind of looking at your story and you're like, I don't know, my life's a mess. Okay? Well, Moses killed a guy. So, all right? God is orchestrating your story to accomplish his purpose in your life. All right, but, but again, where we find Moses here is he's, he's not at a point of delivering, right? He's really, he's abandoned his call. And that's kind of, I kind of got three points. The first one is this. We see Moses's call abandoned because where Moses is now, he's in the wilderness. And he's there because even though something in him knew that he was to be the one to deliver the Israelites, he tried to do it in his own power Try to do it in his own strength, try to do it in his own timing, apart from God. And the consequences were what, a, a, basically a, a death warrant. And so Moses flees out of fear for his life into the wilderness where he hangs out for 40 years with some sheep. Right? That's, and I don't know what was going through Moses' head, but I, like, I have to imagine that, that that call that he knew was on his life years ago in Egypt has now been abandoned, if not just entirely forgotten. Right? Moses' call, abandoned. But, but that's not uh, the end of the story, right? Even though Moses had abandoned his call, God had not abandoned Moses. So verse 7 of Exodus chapter 3. It says, Then the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt, and have heard their cry, because of their taskmasters, I know their sufferings. And I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of the land to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey, to the place of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites, a lot of ites. Verse 9, 
And now, behold, the cry of the people of Israel has come to me, and I have also seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppressed them. Come, I will send you, talking to Moses, come, I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. So Moses is standing before this burning bush, and God speaks to Moses. And long story short, God says, you, Moses, are going to be the one who's going to deliver my people out of Egypt. And so this is kind of like conjecture at this point. But I like to think, like you think Moses' mind just lit up at that point. Where all of a sudden God says, you're going to be the one to deliver my people. And I, and I wonder kind of what went through Moses' head. Was there like excitement? Because all of a sudden he remembers, yes, I felt that 40 years ago. I, I, I knew that there was something in me, right? I identified with, with these Israelites. They're my people. I identified with them. They were my brothers. I knew they were enslaved. I knew that something in me wanted to deliver them. And here's God speaking out of a burning bush saying, hey, Moses, you're going to deliver them. But then I also wonder if like following that was not some, maybe some pain or regret. Because immediately Moses has to be, uh, that call that he abandoned, now he's faced with the reality that because he pursued it in his own way, in his own time, in his own strength, it failed miserably. Right? And so, um, but, but here's, here's what we see in verse 10, is that, that this call on Moses' life is being redeemed. So first we saw his call abandoned, but now we see his call redeemed, because verse 10, Come, I will send you to Pharaoh, that you may bring my people, the children, out of Egypt. Now I want you to think Moses' life for the last 40 years has just been hanging out in the wilderness with a bunch of sheep. For 40 years. And yet what we see here is God showing up on the scene and redeeming these 40 years. Right? Moses' call that was on his life way back in Egypt 40 years ago is now he's, he's experiencing it again. And what this tells us is, is that all those wasted years like in, in God's economy are not really wasted years. Because God redeems and God restores. And so even though Moses is spending 40 years in the wilderness doing the most mundane of tasks, right? Just shepherding people or shepherding, shepherding sheep. I'm getting ahead of myself. To know that, that an, it, it wouldn't be long until he would be in the wilderness for another 40 years. But this time, not shepherding a bunch of sheep, but leading God's people. Right? God had redeemed all those years. Like, which should encourage us right, to know that, that God is always at work. Even in the most mundane, the most unspectacular things. Right, like, like shepherding sheep. Again, not a uh, highly sought after job in biblical times. Right? Shepherds were not really respected in biblical times. But to know that God redeemed that to accomplish his purposes in Moses' life. Those 40 years shepherding sheep in the wilderness were really 40 years of training to lead God's people in the wilderness and to shepherd them because people are a lot like sheep, not always bright, right? And so right, 
I just think that should encourage us, that, that God redeems the most mundane, unspectacular, everyday things of, of life to accomplish his purposes in our lives. And so what if we saw, uh, I mean, just, just think about, what if we saw the, the work day? What if we saw it not just as punching the clock nine to five, but what if we actually saw that, now this is my, my mission field, and we, and we let God redeem that place of work as a place where, like, our purpose. Right, what if we, um, parents, especially of young children, right, what if we saw parenting not just as trying to get our kids from, like, birth to 18 and, and like, you know, not having issues, right? What if we tried to get our kids from there What if we saw our kids not just as trying to help them survive, but actually raise them to be a a new generation that would, um, as Paul says, do war against the spiritual forces of of darkness and evil in heavenly places? What if we we saw parenthood as being redeemed? What if, uh, I mean, we could go on and on and on, right? What if we saw just this weekly gathering, not just as a, simply something we do out of a weekly routine, but this is a place where we're going to come. And like I said earlier, we're going to reorient ourselves around what's most important, and we're going to recalibrate our lives around what's most important, and we're going to, we're going to love the Lord. We're going to love one another. We're going to grow uh, in our relationship with the Lord. We're going to grow in our relationship with one another, and then we're going to be on mission together in the community that surrounds us. What I'm getting at is, is these everyday, mundane, unspectacular things may be the very things that God has he's put you in these places to accomplish his call and his purpose on your life. To redeem those things. So that they're not just, it's not like the things of God are up here on this big level and then these everyday things are something else. No, these everyday things are the things of God. That's what he's put us there for, Right? So we saw Moses' call abandoned. We see it redeemed, but we also see his call confirmed here. And so you get a series of sort of Moses and God having a little Q&A session here. All right. So look at verse 11. It says, But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? He said, God said, But I will be with you. And this shall be the sign for you that I have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. That's a significant statement. We'll come back to it in just a minute. But so, first, Moses' first question. Who am I? Right? Moses asked God, who am I to do this? Okay, but that's not the only question he asked. Look at verse 13. It says, then Moses said to God, if I come to the people of Israel and say to them, the God of your father's has sent me to you, and they ask me, what is his name? What shall I say to them? And God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me. So first Moses asks, who am I to do this? Then Moses asks, who are you? Right, when, they ask, when they ask who you are, like what am I supposed to say? Who are you? Okay, and then... Um, if you jump over to, to chapter 4, the first, first verse in that, Moses again begins to question God, and he says, But, but behold, uh, they will not believe me or listen to my voice, for they will say, The Lord did not appear to you. And that's, I'm reading now the ESV, but the NIV poses that as a question. 
And it says, basically, what if they don't believe me? So you got Moses having this Q&A session with God. He's, hey, who am I to do this? And God, who are you? And then after all that, God, what if, what if they don't believe me? Like, then what? And, and you, what you get in all those questions is God answering Moses really with, with himself. Right? Moses says, who am I to do this? And God says, not important. I'll be with you. And then Moses says, well, who, who are you? And God says, I am who I am. I'm Yahweh, the God who provides, creates, sustains, delivers. Right? That's who I am. You tell them that, that I am has sent you. Right? And then when he asks, well, what if they don't believe me? Then what you see, if we were to read on, you see God giving Moses these different signs. Well, if they don't believe you, do this. If they don't believe you, do this. And if they don't believe that one, do this. Right? All these supernatural sort of signs. And so God answers all of Moses' questions with himself. Because God's confidence is not in Moses. God's confidence is in God. And, and that's something that we need to hear today too. Right? This is going to seem like a backhanded encouragement. Okay? God's confidence is not in you. Oh, you receive that for a minute, okay? And that's a good thing. That should free you up, right? That God's confidence is not in you. God's confidence is in him, right? When, when God chooses to use us for his purposes, he's not looking at us being like, hmm, that Larkin kid, he's really got it all together. I can do something with that. No, right? God looks at each of us in our, in our brokenness, He's like, that's what I can use. That's who I can use. Because his confidence is not in us. His confidence is in him. Right? We see it in Moses' life. It's, it's true for us. So in those moments when we're tempted to say, like, so I, just, I don't know how God, I don't know how you could use me. I don't know what I'm doing. I'm kind of a mess. I, I don't really know what to do. God's like, yeah, 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 yeah. I, I know, I know. You, actually, you don't even know the half of it. You're far worse off than you realize. But I'm with you. Right, so all the questions that we have when it comes to fulfilling God's call in our lives, all the questions that we have, God meets those, not, not with anything in us, but he meets us with himself. I will be with you. I am for you. I will provide. I will sustain. I will equip. I have called you into this. I'm not going to let you go at it alone. Right? You fast forward to the New Testament. You look at Jesus you look at his life, and we look at what we call the Great Commission. Before Jesus ascends to heaven, right, his last words to his disciples are, right, go and make disciples, all nations, baptize, teach them all that I've commanded you, and behold, I am with you always. Right, this is his, his promise to us, that he will be with us, because his confidence is, again, not in us. His confidence is in him. That's, that's the, the, the confirmation, right? The call confirmed. Right? God confirms his calling on Moses' life, not because of anything awesome in Moses, but because of everything that's awesome about God. All right? Now, if we fast forward in the story a little bit, this is Exodus 19. 
I'm not going to recount the whole story of, of the Exodus because I think most of us probably know it. If not, if you don't know it, your homework this week is to read from Exodus 3 just all the way to like 19 where we are now. Okay? You can do it. I believe in you. But here's what we see in verse, I'm sorry, in chapter 19. It says, On the third new moon after the people of Israel had gone out of the land of Egypt, so they've already been delivered, on that day they came into the wilderness of Sinai. They set out from Rephidim and came into the wilderness of Sinai, and they encamped in the wilderness, and there Israel encamped before the mountain, while Moses went up to God. And the Lord called to him out of the mountain, saying, Thus you shall say to the house of Jacob, and tell the people of Israel, You yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians, and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples, for all the earth is mine. And I want you to listen to this first because we're going to come back to it in a minute. And you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. And these are the words that you shall speak to the people of Israel. So God uses Moses to deliver the Israelites out of Egypt. And in this scene right here, it says that they, they came back to the mountain. And according to scholars and people that are a lot smarter than I am, the belief is that this mountain that they're at now is the exact same mountain where Moses first had that conversation with God that said, you're going to deliver my people. Because if you look back at, at chapter 3 and verse 12, God says, you will worship me on this mountain. And here we are in Exodus 19. Right? God's call on Moses' life confirmed because they find themselves back at the mountain to worship God. Right? So, what does this have to do with us? Cool story. Okay? Again, great movie plot. We've already seen that. But what does it have to do with us. And what I would say to you is that the call on Moses' life is similar to the call in your life. But a point to that, I want you to turn to 1 Peter chapter 2. 1 Peter chapter 2 in verse 9. I had it marked, but I've lost it already. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. Here's what he says. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. That language sound familiar? It should because that's what God told Moses to tell the people, the Israelites. You are a chosen race, a, holy, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. So the, the, words that, the words that Moses had for the people of Israel, right, were that, are the same words we see right here. You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a people for his own possession. And this wasn't written... First Peter was not written to, uh, to Israelites that were enslaved in Egypt. It's written to men and women like you and me that have put our trust in Jesus. 
we've been called out of darkness and into his marvelous light. And what Peter's saying here is the call on our lives is to proclaim the excellencies of him who has called us out of darkness and into his marvelous light. Just as Moses was to deliver the Israelites from slavery to Egypt, right, the call on our lives, on all of us that would consider ourselves to be followers of Jesus, the call in our lives is to introduce people that are enslaved, not to Egypt, but are enslaved to sin, to call them out of darkness, or to introduce them to the one who can call them out of darkness and into light. That's God's call in your life, in general. It's going to look different for you than it looks for me. We're all wired and gifted in different ways, right? But all of us who follow Jesus, right, the, the call on our lives, we talked about this a few months ago, to make disciples, that is our purpose. And that's what, what Peter writes here. Right? The call on your life is to introduce a lost world to proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of the darkness and into the light. That's God's call in your life. So my, my push to you this morning is to fulfill God's call on your life. Again, that's going to look different. It's going to look different for all of us. So, so here's where I want to kind of land the plane a little bit. I use, that, I use that phrase all the time. It probably makes Eugene cringe a little bit. So he's probably like, he has no idea what he's talking about. Um, but, but here's where I kind of want to leave us, okay? Is, is what if, right, what if we, we started seeing our lives not as wasted years, but as, as all of our life experiences, as God has put me in these places for a specific purpose to help people move from darkness to light? What if we started seeing the most mundane tasks of everyday life, not as just routine, get through the day, get through the week, but as part of what God has called us to to help people move from darkness to light? Or what if all those doubts and fears and anxieties and uh, all those things that Moses expressed, right, what if we submitted all those things to the God who says, my confidence is not in you, my confidence is in me, and I'm going to be with you. And then we gave ourselves all the more to helping people find, helping people move from darkness into light. This is God's purpose for our lives. This is what he's called us to. Right? So let's, yeah, if you should bow your heads this morning. We're going to pray in just a minute. Before I pray, I do want to say this. If, if you're here and you're not a follower of Jesus, this is the first call on your life, is that you would move from darkness to light. And if you don't know what it means to follow Jesus, to have a relationship with Jesus, you don't know what it means to be saved, but you want to know, right, come. All right, this is God's first call on your life, that you, would, that you would leave slavery to sin and you would come to life in Him. And I'd love to talk to you about that this morning, whether it's here during the song of, of response or, or after the service is dismissed. 
Let me pray for us this morning. Father, we come to you. Thank you for your grace and your mercy in our lives. Thank you for your word this morning. And Father, I pray that you would help us to all strive to fulfill the call that you've placed on our lives. And even though the, the details of that may look different depending on where you've placed us and how you've wired us and how you've equipped us, generally speaking, the call in our lives is the same. To make disciples, to introduce people to you who move them from darkness, enslaved to sin and death, and move them into light. So Lord, help us to do that. Help us to see our, our places and spaces in life as areas to do that. Help us to see uh, just the, the everyday activities that may seem like they're just mundane and unspectacular. Help us to see those as places where you would use us. And Lord, any fears, any doubts, any insecurities, any anxieties that we have, remind us, Lord, that you are with us. And that your, your confidence is not in, in us being awesome or, or having it all together, but your confidence is in you working through your people. So Lord, strengthen us with that this morning. Father, we, we love you. We pray. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.